Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Vino Srinivasan, who is the MD and co-head of Structured Credit Group with Mizuho Securities. Vino, Thank thanks so much for giving us some time today. I should say we're recording this in New York at the end of October. Um, before we get into the meat of the conversation, where we're predominantly going to chat around ABS and capital markets, do you want to tell our watchers a little bit around uh, Mizuho's place in the aviation sector? Sure. So, um, we're a uh pretty much a full-service investment bank in the U.S. Uh, Mizuho sort of evolved from acquiring RBS's North American uh, business about seven years ago. Uh, within aviation, uh, we lend unsecured to all the lessors. We do uh, DCM unsecured bonds for the lessors. Uh, we do uh, warehouses for the lessors, and we do ABS deals for the lessors, as well as portfolio sales. Um, I guess where we've not been really active is with the airlines, because uh, due to some legacy issues way before I got here, um, so that's something that's on the come, like where hopefully we'll start lending to airlines and be active with them, but like right now it's all uh, aviation lessor focus. And maybe starting off with the ABS markets, which you guys heavily play in, can you give us your perspectives on where that market currently sits or doesn't sit, right? We know there's been a stalling in the market kind of post-Russia and in the challenging rate environment that we are in. What's your take on where the market currently is? Sure. So uh, just going back a little bit, if you think about you know, the, the run that we had through uh, early 2020 um, with regards to aircraft ABS, it was a steady buildup to about 9.6 billion of issuance in 2019, which was, you know, call it 10 billion, but like uh, that was the highest. And then obviously uh, that was in 2019. And then 2020, obviously, because of COVID, there was very little issuance. And then 2021, there's a huge bounce back, and we almost hit 10 billion again. So it's uh, 9.5, 9.6 billion, depending on what stats you look at. And that was obviously driven by the low rate environment we were in in 2021, when the Fed basically pumped money into the system because of COVID, behaving the same way that they did during the global financial crisis, uh, which kept rates low into 21. And pretty much every lessor, um, whether it was, uh, and I'll come to the ABS piece, but issued, uh, the investment grade lessors issued as much uh, unsecured debt as they could in that environment. So they're set for a while. And then the ABS uh, issuers all issued debt only deals. So there was no e-notes, no uh, portfolio sales. And uh, what's really happened this year, and it's not uh, particularly focused on aviation alone, but like with regards to everything, like rates have gone up, right? So five-year swap rates, which are the basis for which the aircraft ABS structures have been in terms of tenor, uh, those were at 150 in 2021. They're now at like 450, so the 300 basis points increase there. Credit spreads that were about 150 basis points has now widened to about 350, so another 200 there. So effectively, you've had about 5% 5, 5 increase in debt issuance cost in the aircraft ABS world, uh, which really, the lease cash flows uh, cannot support the same amount of leverage that we could issue at in 2021 under these you know, new interest rates uh, and, and yields that we're dealing with. Uh, basically, the funding cost on an aircraft ABS deal tripled in six months between March to now, whereas lease rates are sticky, right? And they haven't really moved up to adjust. So we're in this little bit of a limbo situation where if you were to issue aircraft ABS deals, your leverage is coming down. Now, does that clear the warehouses where these things have been funded? I think they do, but it's kind of cuspy. 
secondly, because investors uh, have uncertainty around what the Fed might do with regards to rates, they're building in a cushion into the credit spread, which is then unfairly penalizing the issuers because it's not reflective of what their credit spread should be. It's totally understandable from the investor perspective, but that's just piling on you know, a, a level of uh, debt cost that's unsustainable. So people that have access to bank facilities and warehouses and, and banks are being very supportive are just you know, probably gonna stay in there for a while until this rate environment changes or the lease rates adjust. Uh, but that's really the biggest issue with you know doing an aircraft ABS deal. The demand is there from the investors. It's just that you can't uh, the quantum of leverage you're able to produce is lower at this point. So, so the the unblockers, if I call them those, as you say, adjustment lease rate factors, which we know there's a lag on, but but seems to be trending that way. Sure. The rate piece is it more a case of the rates settling? If they're higher, they're higher. That's the cost of doing business, but they just need to settle. That's right. There's volatility right now. Uh, what's built into the forecast is 75 basis point you know, rate increase in November, on November 2nd and another 50 in December. Uh, but honestly, nobody knows. It could be 2%. And so that volatility, to your point, has to settle down. And once we hit like uh, certainty around where rates are, then the credit spreads should ad adjust. You can always hedge out the rate piece. But even in that scenario, your issuance cost is still higher than where lease rates are. And you know, to your point, leases that are long leases that planes are on, they're not gonna adjust for a while, right? It, the lag could be like three years, four years. I think where this product, the aircraft ABS product, becomes more relevant to issuers with, is with like 15-year-old assets. Because the lease rate factors on older assets are now higher, and that's where you're seeing the increase almost immediately. And those are gonna have the yield in order to support the, the debt cost. The, the issue is uh, the investor base, just like you know, everybody else when there's a time of uh, uncertainty and distress, is running to the shinier new aircraft, which really doesn't have that lease rate factor. So that's why we're in a bit of a limbo. And, and the other element which seems to be challenging is just the trading environment on the asset side. So you mentioned investor appetite is there. Are the portfolios there? Like we've had the OEM slowdown, which means that big guys just seem to be hanging on that a little bit longer, right? Do you think that's also a challenge? And how do you see that playing out? So the, the trading aspect of it, uh, obviously ABS debt has been a huge uh, factor in supporting uh, trading in the sense that you can provide uh, non-recourse debt to buyers of those assets. It has also been a factor in selling portfolios with e-notes, obviously. Let's leave the e-note part out of it for yeah. a second. But the uncertainty in how much leverage you can get over the long term and what that cost of leverage is, is making the buyers of these assets uncertain about what they should pay for purchasing these assets. Uh, because that could vary quite dramatically depending on where your leverage is and your price of leverage is. Uh, so it af absolutely is affecting the trading. The only thing that you know probably is not uh, causing a big problem is the fact that the OEMs haven't been delivering aircraft, so the larger order book lessors are not as under as much pressure as they normally are in terms of being able to uh, needing to sell assets. So again, you're seeing them like hold on to assets longer because they have to show growth, and there's no growth coming in from the order book side because it's slower. And I'm sure Boeing and Airbus are going to pick that up over the next few years, and it's going to go back to normal, but. It's just this interim period when uh, you're right, uh, the, the trading seems muted as well. And you mentioned the investor appetite being there. 
have you seen any trends even post-COVID to the nature of investors coming at the, the ABS space? Have we seen an evolution of the buyer or is it kind of what was there before, more at a, a trend level than an individual buyer purchaser? Um, I think it, a lot of the investors that would play today and played in 2021 are the same investors that played in 19. Uh, maybe the individuals change shops during COVID, but like a lot of the buyers in terms of the largest buyers are all the same buyers. Um, there, there are, you know, on the periphery, there are a couple of new investors that have come into the space and a couple that have backed off. Um, but largely I'd say is the same and they're very active across other asset classes in the ABS world. Like typically every year there's about 200 to 250 billion of, of ABS being issued. Uh, times like this, uh, obviously uh, half of that is autos and credit cards, which are self-liquidating pools that are five-year legal maturity that are like two and a half year weight average life and get to like triple A, double A, single A. And times like these, when you think you may be going into a recession, there's uncertainty, people gravitate towards those asset classes. And actually, if you were doing flow ABS, it's going gangbusters. There's deals like uh, going on every day, every week. And then there's also whole business securizations, uh, data centers, other asset classes that are getting done. Um, the issue in aircraft ABS is more driven, I believe, by the issuers and the lease rate factors than the lack of investor appetite. And, and just to, to pick up that thread on aviation versus other asset classes, yep. um, and maybe not, we, we, after the COVID challenge, there was still a huge demand, as you mentioned, in, in 21 it came back, which, which does speak to that maturing of the sector. But, but do you think we're a little bit compounded now where Russia hits, that matters from a sentiment perspective, rate environment probably impacts for the reason we're talking about a little bit more. Would you have concerns that it kind of weakens the perception of investors as aviation as an asset class when they can place elsewhere? Or is this just kind of a natural timing thing that'll play out? I think it's a natural timing thing that'll play out because um, like I said, and we, I've gone through the global financial crisis and COVID obviously, and like people just gravitate towards less, what they perceive to be less risky, higher rated, uh, you know, parts of the capital structure. And remember, aircraft ABS deals are longer tenor. So the first thing uh, that happens is people go to shorter tenor bonds and you can't structure a short tenor aircraft ABS deal. So that's longer tenor. And then aircraft ABS deals only go up to single A. Uh, we've, we've actually, we've done two deals that have double A tranches, but they're very rare and small in size. Whereas like autos, credit cards, those asset classes, you can actually get to triple A, double A, single A. Uh, there's also a relative value thing when you think about, you know, just going on from aircraft ABS. Remember, a lot of aircraft ABS was predicated by uh, large lessor selling portfolios to financial investors. And financial investors were investing equity uh, in a aircraft uh, portfolios mainly because they couldn't find yield in any other asset classes. Well, you've got a relative value issue right now where you can actually get consumer loans, senior bonds at like, you know, eight, ten percent. So, and, and equity on aviation hasn't moved up to 20 or 25. Yeah. So they're just gravitating towards, like I said, the, these buying opportunities they have, the investor base, with senior debt at yields that they haven't seen in 15 years. And your thoughts around the secondary market and what you're seeing, like I remember when COVID hit, you know, I took a number of calls from people going, yeah, this room, we're gonna look at some, we're gonna get some A's, we're gonna pick them up cheap, and you know, there's value to be had here. Didn't really play out, right, truth be told. People didn't really wanna sell out of them. What are you seeing at the moment in terms of secondary trades? Are you seeing appetite for buyer and sell side? 
and, and what levels of the kind of stack are you seeing it being played at? So, uh, great question. Um, there has been a fair amount of trading through COVID and now. The problem is the block sizes. Like, it's been like a million dollar block, two million dollar blocks, three million dollar blocks. A lot of times people uh, put bonds out on BWIC, which is basically, you know, where people can bid on it. And then they won't trade, but they'll use it to mark their books uh, for, the, for the bond buyers that need to mark their books and their positions. The, the issue is that most buyers of aircraft ABS, because of the tenor, have been insurance companies or asset managers that manage money for insurance companies. They don't have to mark to market. And they're buy and hold investors. So they buy it, they put it in, and it's done. So they're not really looking to trade out of those positions. And to be fair, the single A bonds pre-COVID or post-COVID are gonna all pay out fine. It's just probably gonna get extended because some deals are gonna hit ARD. Uh, but if you're on the senior tranche, you're gonna be fine. Uh, we have seen during COVID a lot of trades on the E notes and the C notes where people were you know, trying to get as much return as possible, fearing the worst. Uh, that's just been exacerbated with like Russia, Ukraine and the interest rate environment we're in. So. I wouldn't be surprised if you know there are more E's and C's that were already marked down quite significantly that people just go, I, I want to be out of this position, I don't want to deal with it anymore, which might prove to be a buying opportunity for some others. But on the senior tranches, like I said, it's uh, it's been small blocks and, uh, and that's purely because of the buyer uh, universe, which has been insurance companies. And we've seen uh, obviously a number of deals that were being packaged in early 22, right? So there, that we're getting warehoused and getting positioned you know, with the expectation that, with that, that follow through that we saw in 21. What options are those deals taking at the moment, right? So we know obviously the warehouses probably might have 12, 24 month lifespan on them. So it mightn't be immediate, but it's near enough, right? So when you look at some of those prospective issuers, what are they looking at, do you know? Sure, so um, a lot of the warehouses obviously got refinanced in 2021. Remember, we did 10 billion of aircraft ABS that were all debt-only deals. That was basically cleaning out a lot of warehouses. So they all got renewed into early this year. So typical warehouses, two to three year evolving, four, year AMOR, four to five year AMOR, so it's like a seven year facility. Uh, those will have you know, availability into late 23, sometimes 24. So there's no gun to, the, to their heads with regards to you know, having to take it out. The step-up pricing that typically kicks in after the evolving period is over, you're looking at late 23 into 24. So yeah, if the rate environment stays high like this into next year and there's no aircraft ABS or any other uh, alternative products like term loans, et cetera, that actually makes sense, then there's gonna be a squeeze. But I think there's enough time um, over the next 12 to 24 months before that becomes an issue. Um, in terms of what alternatives they're looking at, uh, banks are being extremely supportive. I can tell you right now, like, you know, the spreads on aircraft ABS, I said 350, both banks are lending at 150 to 200. So, uh, and, and they're used, seeing it as an opportunity to step up for their clients so that, you know, when the times come back to be good, that they can be repaid. So, um, I don't necessarily see a huge issue today. It obviously becomes more of an issue if this rate environment continues, uh, you know, 12 months from now. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, one of the transactions we saw in 21 was the loan-focused ABS. Sure. So kind of solved the Stone Peak Bellinger transaction. Rumors in the market, there's a couple other people kind of considering that route. Y your thoughts on that product and whether or not it might become something mainstream? I think it's going to be a piece of the puzzle uh, going forward. 
because obviously from an investor standpoint, the relatively lower metal LTVs on those deals are very attractive to investors. Um, the issue right now is that any loans that you put in place in 2021 or earlier is gonna be based on that rate environment and today's rate environment is much higher. So if they're floating rate, if, if the portfolio is largely floating rate loans, then obviously that adjusts with today's rate environment and a loan CLO type transaction still may seem feasible. Um, I do think these alternative lenders are going to be more of a factor going forward, mainly because uh, you know banks that have been supporting these clients, um, the question becomes if this rate environment stays long and you're not able to refinance the bank facilities, whether they'll be open to lending to new facilities or extending over time. They've definitely extended this year, but like, you know, 12 months from now, you know, could be a completely different ballgame. And that's where these alternative vendors, I think, will be an important factor going forward. And that loan CLO product will be fine 12 months from now uh, because the loans have all been put in place in today's environment. And a question then, I guess, around in bringing the structures back and hoping to see a, a material return of the market, are there more structural changes needed? Um, so you would have seen post-COVID, your perspectives on the changes that were there. Um, I've heard people say, oh, they were fundamental and investors totally protected way more. And then other people say, ah, they were cosmetic. So your views on the changes that were made kind of coming out of COVID, and you think more needs to be done on the structural side or not? Sure. So coming out of COVID, there were a couple of uh, two or three changes that were meaningful. The first is that the rating agencies now require you to have nine planes innovated into the structure before you can do an aircraft ABS deal. So previously you could close a, an aircraft ABS deal and then have the aircraft innovated in over a 360 day period where maybe even none of them had been innovated. When we did Sprite 2017-1, none had been innovated in a closing and it took like, uh, but they all closed later. Uh, due to some of the transactions in late 19, early 20, when the e-note buyers rejected the aircraft going into COVID. Yeah, star ends up getting uh, there, Right, yeah. and then, you know, as a result, the bonds got downgraded. You know, when you had a 17, 19 plane portfolio that went down to two planes overnight, you know, obviously the single A bond gets downgraded to single B. Uh, as a protection mechanism to not have that happen again, agencies are focused on how many planes are actually innovated in. So that's one change that's happened. And then there's obviously the, the DSCR and other triggers, the windows have been tightened to smaller uh, you know, time periods where they can measure the changes. Uh, and then there's obviously you know, cash being a big factor in these transactions. There, there's more cash that's being um, either pledged in or trapped, like security deposits were an optional thing that were pledged in pre-COVID, but then now they seem to be all being pledged in. Um, those were the, largely the fundamental changes that happened. Maybe the amortization tenors have tightened a little bit from what was done pre-COVID. Um, I think Going forward, we have to figure out a way to change this spread environment in order to be able to do aircraft ABS deals if this current rate environment continues, right? Meaning we ha the onus is on us as bankers, ABS bankers, to come up with a structure that allows these deals to get done at a lower cost, which then can match the lease rate factors, or, um, you know, we're just going to wait it out till the lease rate factors adjust. Yeah, or, or this won't happen, right? But you end up in a situation where leases have an interest escalation trigger, right? A floating rate lease? Yeah, yeah, that, that are there, but obviously not commonplace, right? But if you had a floating rate lease 
uh, portfolio, then you know sure. you've got something to play with, right? That's right. Uh, I just did uh, an interview with John Kluger a short while ago, so maybe we'll ask John for fifteen of his aircraft that have that floating lease mm -hmm. with them. Um, can I ask you? The market obviously came back in a real way, fourteen, I guess, fourteen, fifteen onwards. Sure. You know. In theory, that's a life cycle, or we should be coming to a life cycle of some of those older transactions. Um, is there a bunch of refis needed, or, or what's happening in relation to the older deals? So the older deals were expected to uh, get refinanced when they hit uh, the what they call ARD, or anticipated refinancing date, right, which was typically seven years out. Some deals at eight years out. Uh, you're right. Uh, it really doesn't make sense to refinance it in today's rate environment, right, because you're taking a bond that was at, like, you know, call it 450 yield, and you're now at like 750 or 8% yield, why would you refinance it? Because now you're, you're if you were to refinance it, uh, and you're trying to do another ABS deal to refinance it, your leverage is gonna be lower. You may not even be able to take out the, uh, generate enough proceeds to repay the debt. So the only refinancing that's possible is with bank debt, or an alternative lender or somebody, and that's probably something that, you know, could happen, but, um, you know, we were in a fairly low rate environment in 2021 where all these refinancings made sense. Um, it would not be, it would not behoove me to say that I believe that we'll be back in a rate environment that's definitely lower than where we are today, uh, much sooner than people expect next year. Your expectation just on that point of the rate environment, yeah, predictions make foolish men, right? But I'm going to ask you two. One, um, your thoughts on when the rate environment settles, right? Um, and that mightn't be cuts, but when it just settles, right? Um, and then the second piece, uh, no, let me answer that piece first. So the consensus is that, you know, the Fed's, well, the fact is the Fed's very focused on fighting inflation, right? And they're going to keep raising rates till they fight, until they get inflation under control. Um, Everybody was hopeful it'd be earlier this year, but uh, the general consensus is hopefully by the end of the year. But they, the, the consensus in the market is that rates would stay high the whole of next year, maybe stable, but high, and then they would start tapering down in 2024. Um, I think there are other factors that might cause that to the, the reversion to happen much sooner. One is, uh, you know, we've got House elections this December in the US here. Um, if the House goes Republican, then you're going to have Congress that's Republican and Democratic president. Uh, there's going to be a lot of political pressure on the president to do something because we'll be in a recession. Uh, and the way out of recession, as we do in America every time, is to print money and like uh, cut rates and um, you know use that tool. Um, the second factor is that the dollar has become so strong that we're basically pushing a lot of countries around the world into a recession. Um, so. If you look at both of those factors, I think there will be a reversion in the sense that maybe not going down to rates like they were in 2021, but uh, a downward trend much earlier in 2023 than the general consensus. Now, if I was good at this, obviously I won't be doing this job, yeah. but uh, <laughs> that's just a gut feel because I think, um, I just don't see us hanging out like the 70s in a high rate environment for like, you know, years on end. The, the society today is not constructed to deal with that. Um, and so I, I just don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, so someone made an interesting point the other day where they were saying, look, effectively, if you look back over time, when rates start rising, you can almost start an 11 to 12 month clock because when they'll start ticking backwards, right? So, yep. so, so hopefully we, we do get, as you say, Q3, Q4 next year. Um, really interesting stuff, you know, just, just in closing, 
Um, can I ask you your thoughts on when does the market come back, right? So, you know, we've all these challenges that are there. When do you think we will start seeing deals close again? Uh, you mean debt deals across the market or ABS? A ABS. Or ABS. ABS? Uh, look, there are a lot of transactions that were worked on earlier this year. Um, you know, I think we'll see uh, ABS deals that are maybe not as widely distributed, but placed with a handful of investors happening much sooner than people think. And then if we can somehow figure out a structure that, you know, addresses this uh, rate volatility as well as the uh, spread, increased spread, uh, that somehow brings it in line with the lease rate factors, then you could see quite a few deals happening. But uh, I think there'll be deals, you know, uh, probably in the next couple of months uh, into next year, uh, but not the volume that everybody predicted, obviously, at the start of the year. Well, Vinod, I'd like to thank you for your time and insights and wish you and Mizuho a very successful rest of 22 and for 23 as well. Thank you, and to KPMG as well. Thank you. Thank you.